One of life's greatest questions is, what happens to us after we die? Is death the end or a new beginning? Welcome to the Round Trip Death Podcast. In this show, we listen to first-hand accounts of people who have gone beyond the veil and return to talk about it. Okay, everybody, welcome to Round Trip Death, and I'd like to welcome our special guest today, Jay Martin from Columbus, Ohio. Jay, good morning. Good morning. Thank you for having me here, Barry Hall. I'm appreciative. You are very welcome. And and to our listeners, I should say good afternoon, good evening, whatever time of day it happens to be that they're listening. But <laughs> um, we're so glad everybody is tuning in, and we're glad to have you here, Jay. Thank you. Thank you again. Hey, Jay, tell us a little bit about you. Well, um, I am 46 years young. Uh, I just turned 46 on the 16th of February. Um, I have five children. Four of my children are practically adults, you know, and I have a three-year-old. So that was kind of a shock to us. <laughs> you know, that's eight, 19 years later, you know. That's an awesome shock, though. That's okay. Yes, it is. She's beautiful. <laughs> I'm uh, born and raised on the south side of Chicago in Inglewood. Um, my uh, parents, uh, very loving, very loving. We, you know, grew up in like, uh, I want to say a mixed emotions type environment, you know, where there's a lot of love in the home, but on the outside of the home, there's a lot of like, uh, would say cry violence, you know, somewhat, you know, but uh, um, with the support of family, uh, made it through it, you know. My dad was, uh, I grew up in the 80s, of course, so born in 77, grew up in the 80s. My dad was a, he was a drug dealer, um, and that was pretty common for people at, around that time on the South Side. Um, I was privy to a lot of, Shootouts, <laughs> fights, drug deals, police raids, hall raids. Uh, when you say privy to, is that sort of a sarcastic way of dealing with really tough things like that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, it yeah. was, you know, when I was young, it didn't really, I mean, it didn't really bother me because I was busy being a kid, you know, you know, playing around with my siblings and everything. Uh, even uh, even the police raids, so they raided the home, it didn't bother me. You know, as a kid, you scared for a certain period of time, but after a while, you just kind of get used to it. You know, some people are like, "Well, do you used to that?" It, it, it just is what it is. You know, we we were pretty much, you know, lived a life of even though that was going on, we were still able to get some of the things that we wanted as a kid. You know, I was pretty spoiled. You know, I didn't go without. Uh, but my mom, she wanted different from us. So she was about to lose up, move us to the projects. Uh, if she heard of the projects in Chicago, they are pretty bad. <laughs> they pretty much tore them down now, but they were pretty bad. Uh, and my grandmother, my mom's mom, she, uh, didn't want us to move to the project. So she purchased a home about, uh, several blocks from where we were. So we moved there, had different environment, uh, a little bit different. Uh, I had to adjust to my mom's side of the family now at that time. 
you know, which was, uh, they were religious, fun, <laughs> not like my other family, but it was fun too. But uh, I got to see both worlds in that, you know, in that switch. I attended John, uh, John P. Ogale Elementary School, um, south side of Chicago, went to Harper High, met my friends, who are my friends to this day. We started dancing. We were, I want to say, professional dancers. We did what you consider hip-hop and house dancing. Uh, we did many, you know, concerts, opening up for rap artists, a uh, couple of R&B artists, one of them is Usher. <laughs> we opened up for him when we first started it. We, we were contestants on the uh, Apollo Theater at Harlem, New York, uh, twice. We didn't win, <laughs> but uh, it was one experience. Yeah, it's a big accomplishment just to get there. Do you ever get back to that old neighborhood in the south side of Chicago? Oh, yeah, Austin. Uh, home is where the heart is, you know. So even though I've been here in Columbus since 20, I moved here 2021, I mean, 2001. I always go back home you know, pretty, uh, you know, pretty often to see my family and my friends. They're still there, you know, they didn't leave. Is the neighborhood in better shape now? Safer? Yeah, no, that really is. almost became like a, a ghost town. <laughs> you know, uh, unfortunately, a lot of people uh, passed away, moved away. Uh, violence is, I want to say it's crazy. But for some reason, blessed reason, we haven't had to had to bring problems with it. You know, girl, my mom says, you know, my grandmother says, and she won't leave anyway. She's she's one of those people where she's like, uh, I've been here 30, 40 something years, I'm not going anywhere, no matter what you tell her. <laughs> you know. And my mom, she she doesn't want to move too far from my grandmother. Yeah, I understand. So you had a heart attack at a young age. How old were you and what was going on in your life then? Um, I was 39 years young, 39. Prior to when I first, well, when I moved here in 2001, I had three children. And uh, two years later, I had another on the way. Uh, I started having issues with the mother of my children, separated still having paternal issues. So I started going through a lot of stress and depression. And then the following year, and what I'm le- what I'm go- where I'm going with this is that it all built up to my, med- my medical condition progressed to me having that heart attack. More from all the stress of all those things going on? Because you look like a healthy guy. Oh, uh, well, it was, uh, yeah, it was a combination. <laughs> you know, I always say to people that if you're, it's best to talk to someone if you're going through something or find a way to vent or let it out because it will catch up with you. And I did. Um, I had, uh, let's say, maybe 2001, 2002, my grandmother passed away. And then in 2003, uh, the good part was we had our last son, but I lost my cousin to murder on my grandmother's lawn. Um and I didn't get degrees from my grandmother before. My grandmother passed the year before, so I was still in that process of this dealing with uh, relationship issues and then trying to work and then live in a different state, you know, from what I'm used to, different environment. Started working from Coca-Cola, uh, and then I found out at a routine uh, 
a routine checkup that I, I had lupus. Uh, this is from 2005. Uh, I didn't know much about it. Uh, found out the hard way. It's <laughs> one of the things that come with it. And then I didn't deal with it, you know, that news and all the trauma that was still going on and then more issues. And then we had like, it seemed like a death every year in the family. There was a death, you know, if it wasn't from a natural cause, it was cancer, murder, or unexpected. It was always a death, you know, in the family. Um, then two, I want to say 2011, I got 2010, severe depression. Then to the following year, severe anxiety. Uh, then 2013, I was diagnosed with a pulmonary embolism. I had a you know, blood clot. Uh, so again, while all this was going on, there was no time for mourning. <laughs> you know, no time yeah. for mourning because it was, you know, take care of your family, take care of this, take care of that. Health is there, but you still got to work, take care of this. And I just was moving like workhorse, you know. Um, and then I want to say 2015, I had to bury my uncle. You know, uh, he passed away. He was actually killed in my grandmother's home by my little brother. Uh, was now incarcerated. They don't call a liquor spirits for nothing, <laughs> you know. And he was intoxicated. And those spirits got to him and killed my uncle. So we had to bury him in 2015. That same year, I found out that. Once was one pulmonary embolism, blood clot, my lung turned to two. I mean, turned to three blood clots in my lung. Didn't know how they get that got there. Um, I started having more issues, more health issues. Um, I decided to, a uh, couple years prior, I started meditating uh, because it was like too much, you know, too much going on. So up until my incident, I was just meditating hard, you know, praying hard, meditating. And then that's what kept me at least grounded while everything was going on around me. You know, um, I said it wasn't, it always seemed like there was no time for morning. But where I was working for Coca-Cola and on an evening of August 17th, I came in the house, came in the house, started working the evening shift. I mean, afternoon shift, I came home. That evening, I uh, called my my buddy, my mom, Bob, uh, and then I, I knew I was in the kitchen when I was talking to him. Then the next thing you know, I find myself waking up in the hospital about a week la- a be- about a week later. You know, um, I had no idea what happened. Uh, the last thing I remember was sitting in that kitchen. You know, uh, as I'm sitting there in a, in his in his bed the hospital bed with tubes and everything hooked up to me. I look over and uh, it's my family and the doctor there. But with my family, it was like this, it was almost like a glow around them, you know, but I recognized that glow because of where I was just, what I was just experiencing. But the doctors was like, Jay, Jay, do you, do you know where you are? Do you, do you know where you are, how you got here? He said, you had a heart attack. He said, you died. You left us. You left us for a whole more day. 
And I'm still a lot of it, so I'm not paying attention to anything that's going on. You know, I'm just, I'm just being, you know. But it was, it was, I want to say a surreal moment. And the fact was, I didn't even know I was dead. I did not know I had passed away. I thought I was sleeping. Okay, I got. I hate to interrupt, but you just mentioned you were gone for a whole day. Please explain. What does that mean? Well, what had happened was when I had the heart attack, my, I guess because I went in like the, apparently I drove myself, what they said was I drove myself to the hospital. I parked my car perfectly. As soon as I walked through the emergency room doors, I immediately collapsed and went into cardiac arrest. Uh, so cold blue was called. They came out. They had to resuscitate me. They got me back and then got me stabilized. And then I coded again. And they put a stent in my heart. Uh, and then I was coding again. And they stabilized me. They flew me to the nearest hospital, trauma hospital, which is called Riverside. So when I got there, uh, I was coding again. And they were still working on me. Called my mom, my family in Chicago and said, someone needs to get up here because she's not living. We don't know. We, we've been working on it for about 45 minutes. And my mom responded, like, you've been working on my baby for 45 minutes and you just calling me? <laughs> you tell. Well, they've been busy. Come on. Exactly. <laughs> That's what they said. They said, sorry, but we've been working with him. We've been working on it. And but he's fighting. You see him trying to open his eyes, so we're fighting with him. So they said, hurry up and get up here because we don't, because he's not looking good. So while they was working on me, I coded it the last time and they called my mom about hours, about an hour later or something like that while they was on their way up, up to, up here. And they said, we're sorry, he's gone. And um, my mom didn't believe it, you know, so they still proceeded to make their way up here. My children was already here because they came up prior and they were at their mom and they got the call from the doctors that I had passed away. So they came up to the hospital, everybody's at the hospital and they were waiting on my mom to get there so they can say their final goodbyes, you know, before they, you know, start wrapping up everything. So my mom got there later on that evening once an early evening and she got off the elevator and she said, okay, where's my baby? And the mother of my children was like, he's been gone all day. He's been gone the entire day. He's gone. And she was like, no. And she responded as you think she would respond. You know, she hit the floor, you know? So the, they went in a row. I still had, machines around me and everything and my daughter was 18 she had to make the choice so they can officially call it you know start the paperwork and everything my job was already notified of my passing um they sent the condolences letter to my family saying uh we're notified about the passing of your love i still have that condolences letter and my daughter they said okay you see, you know, now it's time. And my daughter said, no, he's still in there. And the doctors and my mom was like, no, he's gone. We're sorry. He's been deceased the entire day. She said, no, no, he's still in there. Just wait. So they waited, even though my vitals and everything's gone, 
my brain, and my, all my organs shut down. Were you on life support machines at this time, or or they had just given up and unplugged everything? Uh, on the life support machine that they had me on was basically a machine that was, uh, it wasn't supporting my life, because my life and their organs, everything was gone. But I guess before, you know, I don't know if you've seen it, like, in the hospital sometimes, it's like when somebody's gone already, after somebody say their goodbyes to me, officially disconnect. But I think that's what that was what they were waiting. They went home. My family went to my house, started cleaning out the house and everything, making memorial plans and everything that evening. The next morning, the hospital called them and said, "You won't believe this. We found a faint pulse." You know, so they're like, "What? what wait, what? Wait, what? Are you? <laughs> you know? That's almost like a bad joke." Right, exactly, you know. So, and then I get there was, you know, some social media posts. I still have that post from everybody, everyone that I knew saying uh, that I had passed away. My cousin let everybody know that I had passed away the day before and everything. Uh, so it was everyone knew, like I said, my job and everything. So when they got rushed back up there, the doctors was like, yeah, even though we found the same post, he only has like a 20-something chance, chance of survival. And they said, if he do, we don't know what his chance of life, his uh, quality of life is. Because every day was either dead, you know, his brain, all that shut down. So they said, it doesn't matter. Keep him on anyway. Keep working. So they put me on a machine called uh, ECMO machine to pump blood through my body. Since my heart, even though it got that faint pulse back, it still wasn't strong enough to pump blood. So the ECMO machine pumped the blood. Uh, my body was swelling. I still have cracks all over my body, you know, from, you know, the trauma and everything. So they put me in a medically induced coma. While in that medically induced coma, I had 26 strokes. And it was, it, it they were everywhere in my brain, you know. Uh, to this day, I still have some lasting damage from it. So, but they yet, they still waited. They still waited. I came back. Uh, I had to do countless therapies, you know, to remember how to walk, talk, and everything. Uh, but I was in a good place. I It was the best I ever felt in my life. This may sound morbid, but I say it was the best sleep I ever had in my life. <laughs> Pretty deep sleep, it sounds like. Pretty deep sleep, you know. Like I said, I didn't know that I was deceased, you know, because I thought that maybe I was sleeping. Uh, because when I was gone, I remember going, I was going down this tunnel. It's like an amber tunnel that was surrounding me, and it was people. It looked like people reaching out for me. But there was no malicious intent, but it was just reaching. I wasn't afraid or anything or emotion. I was just going down that tunnel. Um, once I got to the end of the tunnel, I found myself like, it was like almost like floating down the highway. Uh, and it was like gloomy outside. Nobody was out there. And I witnessed, it was like, a, it's like a landmark here in Columbus. Uh, I think they call it the Brewery District. And I remember seeing that you know, same thing. And after that, it was just like immediately shot, immediately straight up to space, you know. And I, again, no fear, no concern, no doubt, no worry. I just, I just existed. 
you know, I just was. Um, so while I'm up there, like at the footstool, like in front of me, but below me, I saw the earth and it was like energy protruding from the earth, like going in as it's going up and circulating in and out of the earth. It was a pretty cool sight, you know. I'll bet. Then I looked to my left and I saw what looked like a galaxy or like a swirling of stars, you know. Uh, at first, I described it as a wormhole, but as the years go by and started to look and research and everything, I noticed it on Google when I was looking at images. And I was like, that's what I saw. And it looked like the Andromeda galaxy. You know, I was like, that's what I saw, you know. And while I was there, then I heard to my right, it was like a person would call my name. Um, I didn't know who it was from, who it was. I just heard my name called. So I looked to my right, didn't see anything. Looked at the earth again, then I looked at the stars again. And looked towards my name again. And then after that, everything went black again. And then that's when I... I eventually don't know the time frame, but I eventually awoke to like seeing my uh, uh, like friends. My buddy came from Chicago, him and his wife and their kids to uh, come up to see me. I just need to interject for our listeners. If you hear any little giggling and things, that is little Hallie that's on Jay's lap. How old is Hallie? She is. She is. Three years young. She just turned three. Happy birthday, Hallie. Say. <laughs> and busy. Well, she's beautiful and she's happy to be sitting on daddy's lap this morning. Thank you, much. She wanted to be anywhere I am. Good. Okay, keep going. I, she was holding my hand and uh, I was still looked up to the tunes and everything. And I can just look. But she was holding my hand. I saw my kids, her kids, and she said, if you can hear me, squeeze my fingers. So I squeezed her fingers, and then next thing you know, I'm out again. So I was in and out of consciousness the whole time while I was there, you know. But again, I felt, I felt amazing, you know. I had no fear, no doubt, no anger. I, I was just in a great place, <laughs> you know, um, and then it like kind of hit me how the extent of, to what some of the things that happened when I was lying in my bed and the therapist came in and said, okay, uh, it's time to start your therapy. And I'm therapy for what? You know, so I uh, proceeded to try to move and get up out the bed and move my legs around and um, almost felt like I tried, almost like stood up, but almost failed. So I didn't get too far from the bed. So I fell back on the bed. It was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And I come to find out that I couldn't walk, you know? Yeah. How many days after going into the hospital is this now? Uh, this, my therapy, I started my therapy probably like, uh, I want to say a month after the hospital. So you're dead for a day and then you're in and out of consciousness while you're in a medically induced coma, mm -hmm. then in and out of consciousness for a while. Finally, okay, month has gone by, time to get up. <laughs> sounds yeah. easy, right? Right, yeah, it sounds easy. Now, after all those strokes, did you have some paralysis? Uh, yeah, um, uh, at least like one of, one of them was my legs. 
uh, I couldn't speak, so I had to learn how to speak again. My, I had to learn how to write again because it was like I couldn't hold even hold a pen. You know, uh, they tried different ways for me to try to communicate when. I remember one time they brought in like uh, this alphabet magnetic board with alphabets to see if I could try to spell it out. I couldn't even move those things, right? You know, it was frustrating because it was like I was trying to, I knew what I wanted to say, but couldn't say it. Yeah. Yeah, I got it. Let's go back to this near-death experience for a minute. You saw the earth, you saw galaxies, swirling stars. Anything else that you saw or felt or can recall? Any other detail? I didn't, I don't recall seeing anything else. I, like I said, I do, only thing that, thing that I know for certain is that I just, I knew I existed, you know. Um, I didn't notice to have any form, any body. I was like one with the universe, if I mean, sense. I was one with everything, you know. It, it was... <laughs> It is it's almost like hard to explain. I just I just knew I was, you know. You know, if some things in the Bible, you know, where he saved God to Abraham, when Abraham asked him what his name is, he said, "I am." Yeah, you know, I am what I will to be. That's what I was. Yeah, that's what that that's what that reminded me of. Yeah, is you just realized that you were, you are. Yes. Yes, and it was, and I and I took that amazing feeling with me because when I told you I saw this aura, this like light over my family, I recognized that to be love, you know, and that's how I knew that love wasn't a word; it was it's an actual entity. History, you know, it's actually being, you know, um, because even after some of the first words that I said, was someone actually thing was love. You know, this is as if that was the prominent force that was working through me. Just tell people about love, the importance of love, that love exists not as a word, but as an entity in this. You know, so it was sometimes I wonder, like, man, if I can get that feeling back, <laughs> you know, that relaxing. Calm feeling. It, it wasn't until I started getting more adjusted to this world, you know, getting acclimated, seeing television and all this stuff is when I started feeling literally everything, the emotions, the hurt, the pain that people feel. It's it was like amplified, you know, and it and I felt it and it literally hurt, you know, it was very sad, you know, I was literally reward after that moment literally so much as when I first left the hospital when I looked outside it's like I had I was looking at everything like I had never seen it before you know the bus the clouds the trees I was like in shock and awe looking at it like wow what is this you know uh I had to get readjusted I did I Really, literally had to get readjusted. Yeah. So emotionally, was that a really difficult thing? Or was that, yay, I'm back, so I'm so happy about it? Or what What were the emotions like? Uh, the emotions was just, it was, I want to say it was pure calm. You know, I was at pure bliss, you know, and calm, even though everything looked strange to me. I 
I was at pure calm. I was relaxed. Like I said, the only thing, it wasn't until I started being around people more and seeing television when I started feeling, started to feel. It's like their energies and their emotions radiated either through television or through them physically. And I felt it. And that's when it started to feel like uncomfortable. You know, it, it felt very scary. Sounds like an extreme empathy. Yeah. Yeah. And I I see a therapist now and I started seeing a therapist. I had to after all of that, you know. And one of the things she said to me was, you can't carry everybody's emotions or burdens and everything that you feel. And I'm like, it's kind of hard to not do, you know, because it's like it's a natural thing now. I feel them. You know, I try to balance it, but I still feel it nonetheless. You know, I, you can't, it's almost like you can't shake it. How is your health now and what do you do for work? Right now, my health is, um, <laughs> it's a roller coaster because, because of the damage that was done to my brain from the uh, strokes. Uh, I have traumatic brain injury. Um, a lot of the strokes was in my cerebellum. So uh, that control was like, like direction, balance, and everything. So I have vertigo every day, all day. Uh, Try medication. The medication worked. Uh, the neurologist was like, we can try therapy. Yeah, but he said, but I can't promise anything because of the extensive damage that was done to your cerebellum. And that was true. So the best thing I could do is learn to live with it. Um, I have nerve damage to where I will have to take medicine for my nerves because I it they like uh it jumps, you know, my nerves like it's more like neuropathy. And I have damage in my leg to where um I have to walk with a cane. Uh, I can't move my foot, my left foot. So it's like a lot of damage was done to my left side. I balance then I balance the dizziness and sometimes the nausea and everything with raising a three-year-old, <laughs> you know, that's a lot. Um, I just learned to get back, start sleeping again, because for, it's been it'd be seven years in uh, August. So up until a year ago, I had uh, what they call it, can't sleep. Insomnia? Insomnia. I had insomnia where I couldn't sleep for it up until a year ago. It was, I just couldn't do it. It's almost like my clock was just like reset and I just didn't, I couldn't do it. And PTSD would creep in sometimes too, because if I did fall asleep or feel like I was about to fall asleep, I would wake right back up because I was afraid that I was, that I would be afraid that I had died yet because I died the first time and I thought I was asleep. So I wouldn't. So I was like, I don't know if I'm dying again. If I go to sleep, I don't know if I'm dead again. As you know, so it's like trying to figure out how to how to do that. And because I couldn't sleep, sometimes I was nauseous every morning, you know, because I was stayed up because I, you know, I couldn't sleep. And um, I'm just starting to get back to sleep now. But there's still the other thing, like I said, things that I mentioned about the neuropathy. And then the lupus likes to kick in, you know, where I'm uh, sometimes lethargic and tired. You know, um, then I have my headaches, <laughs> you know, uh, but I 
still keep pushing through and have short-term memory. Uh, and even with all these things, I still stay optimistic. You know, I don't let it keep me down. I can tell. I think you're doing great. Uh, your speech is really good. I haven't seen any memory issues yet. <laughs> it made, I tried to, uh, this thing called I disabilities. I tried to program to see if I could at least try to go back to work. Uh, and I, with the thing I couldn't because of my reliability, uh, I can't look at like words, read anything. Like if I'm reading a book after the first, after the second sentence, when I get to the third sentence, I'll forget what I read. You know, and then the computer sometimes looking at that screen going back and forth. I get dizzy, you know, because of the vertigo. Uh, sometimes I can't drive because the vertigo is so bad. So I choose to sit it out. So I've just been trying to find a way to, I want to say, get by. You know, my wife is a big help. My family's a big help. But I've had a job since I was 15, you know, and I'm used to being that provider. So it's like I've been constantly trying to find a way where I can do more providing than my wife wouldn't have to work as much, you know. It's, I guess that's the man part of me, <laughs> you know. It's like I understand you work it and, you know, you help me because I, uh, you know, I still have, I have Social Security helps me. But it's like I wanted more, you know. You know, like the man is like, I should be doing more. I understand. Has your family found a change in you personality-wise? Yes. Um, I noticed it as well. You know, they say that I'm not as, I want to say, have too much humor as I usually pit. You know, they say I'm more laid back or I've always been a laid back guy, but more laid back to where I'm almost, almost like point of seclusion. I don't see things the same way that everybody else when they say, like, uh, my wife, for instance. I, I got to add this, is that me and my wife, we had just started dating. when my incident happened. So it was like, what a way to start dating somebody in three months just to have them die <laughs> in the middle of dating them, you know. And she stayed there. You know, she's at the hospital every day. He was at the hospital every day. In fact, when I my kids got the news, she was just coming in for work, which is the same hospital where I was at. She was just coming in for work, and my youngest son called her and said, Dad died. So she rushed right back out up there, and she was at my hospital bed every day by my side. You know, she never left. Um, she made sure, since she worked at the hospital, she made sure that all my meds was okay, that they wasn't putting up some bad blood because I had to have a transfusion as well. You know, she was on it, you know, and one day she was by my bed, still hooked up to the tubes and everything. I got the uh, trach in, couldn't talk, and she was holding my hand, and I looked over at her, looked up at her, and she was looking at me, and I, I looked back, and my eyes started welling up. Then I looked back at her and I looked up at her and I mouthed with my mouth. I said, would you marry me? <laughs> yeah. And she started tearing up and then, yeah. 
Now, does that count? You may have been under the influence of something there in the hospital. Oh, I was, I was saying. <laughs> <laughs> you know, what's funny is that my kid's mom and her mother, my kid's mom mother, they were all wondering. It was like, did you do that out of obligation because she was there? You think he was obligated? I said, no. I was where I was. I was the, had the clearest mind. Ever. I wasn't thinking about anything or anyone. Every problem that I had before then, I didn't think about it. Only thing that I was thinking about was now at that moment. And I had a divine energy being with me that was guiding everything, even those words. So when I said that, I said that was real. That was true. That was definite. And she noticed she, even though she said yes, she decided to take care of me. So I came and stayed with her in her apartment, her and her stepdad. And she took care of me. You know, she got me to my doctor's appointments, my therapies. And she, at some point in time, she noticed the difference in me because she said that I wasn't as outgoing, so to speak, as I was. I was different. Uh, to, to even to a point where she asked me if I was in love with her years ago. You know, she asked me, she said, are you still in love? Are you in love with me? And I had explained to her, I said, baby, the way I see things now, people's interpretation of being in love is not a real thing. I said, people sometimes are infatuated, but somebody, some people love to the point where they can love you as, just for who you are. They can love you romantically. They can love you in all aspects. I said, I love you in all aspects, including romantically. So I can't say that I'm in love with you. That makes you, hopefully that clears it up for you. It's not an in love with you thing. I love you, all of you. So even though she probably accepted that, she still noticed that there was still a difference. <laughs> and... I noticed it well, too, because I've had a hard time trying to figure out who I was because everybody would say, you used to be this, you was that, you was this. And I'm like, who is this person that you guys are talking about? You know, because I felt different. I felt like I was walking in between two worlds, one foot in the spiritual world, one foot in the physical world, and I was new. And for years, I was combating myself literally to the point to where I would come in tears because it's like, how come I can't remember who this person is they talk about? How come I can't remember it? And it hurt me <laughs> for a while. One day I got in the shower and I just started bawling, you know, just crying profusely. She came in there to see what was going on and you know, I told her that I just, it just hit me what happened to me. It, the, 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 the ramifications, the, just the idea of everything that happened to me and how you all felt about what, what happened to me and what's happening to me. It hit me all at the same time to where I just, it, I just couldn't control it. And to this day, I'm doing better with it. <laughs> I must honestly say I'm doing better with it. But there is still 
acknowledgement that I walk with one foot in the spiritual world and one foot in the physical world. And I can still feel everything and everyone around me. I just have better handle on it than I did when it first happened, if that makes sense. Yes. Let's finish up. I would like you to give our listeners a message of hope. You've learned a lot. You have come a long ways. Some people are still struggling with a lot of really difficult things. What do you have to say to them? Well, one thing I learned from not just growing up on the south side of Chicago and the environment I did and everything that I've been here through here is that even though times are hard and it may seem like there's no way out and it may seem heavy and sometimes it may bruise spiritually as well, those things that you're going through are preparing you give you strength to have the next thing that's coming your way. And best best believe there's going to always be something that comes your way. And how you handle what you're going through now is going to determine how well you handle the next thing that comes your way. And you can make it through. You can make it. Anything is possible. If I, the doctors and all couldn't believe it, even one of the doctors had to take said he wanted to take a picture with me because he couldn't believe it. <laughs> you know, if the doctors can see something that they medical license and expertise couldn't explain, and yet now they believe something, that should show you that if there is a higher power out there that will protect you, that got you, and that will help you make it through all these difficult times just going through. And you can make it. And just because it seems like you're not making it, because you may get a little weary or you may get crazy thick, you can still pull through. This is only temporary. And know that regardless of what happened, that there is no death. There is no such thing as death. You only get transmuted. That energy, that spirit depth that's within you, it just transmutes to another level. I do have one more question about that. You mentioned that you've had insomnia because of fear of dying at night. But in all reality, since you've seen the other side, are you afraid of death? In other words, what's on the other side? Uh, no, I'm not. Um, I think what it was for me was that I felt like, and it's the same with a lot of people. A lot of people fear death not because so much, since some of them don't admit it, not because they don't know what to expect on the other side. It's because of what they have here they don't want to let go. You know, either it's a family member or somewhere that they had to go or do, and they feel like they have to accomplish something. So that was my thing, that I didn't want to go back to sleep, so to speak, because I felt like I'm bad for a reason and I have something to do. I don't know what it is, and I have some things here to do, and I have a family so much. I'm just not ready to go back just yet. I'm not a Afraid, I just feel like there's still something that I have to do. Now, when elders and people get to that age and they live like 100 years and stuff like that, and they say they're tired, they're actually tired and they're not afraid because they live their life and they let go of everything. And it's okay to do that now because they experienced all the love of all the emotions, all the good times, the bad times, trials, triumphs. They experienced all that. So now, yeah, they want to rest. They want their body to rest and they want to move on to that other place where they still exist, but they won't die. But they still exist. It's 
still feels good to know that you still exist. <laughs> so whatever you do, know that you make it through and that regardless of what happened, you still exist. There's nothing to be afraid of whatsoever. Good summary. Thank you very much. Jay, appreciate having you on the show today. I appreciate you having me. I, I'm very humble and grateful. I, I, I start to believe one of the things that I have left me to do is to share my story and to share this message of hope and inspiration to inspire people to love, to find love, to let love in their life and experience it. And to help those who are about to make their transition know that there's nothing to be afraid of and that they won't die. Their real being won't die. I think that is part of why I'm still here. Beautifully said. Thank you. Thank you. If you have had a round-trip death experience, we would love to hear about it. Send an email to eric at roundtripdeath.com. And lastly, if you have found this program uplifting, if it's given you just a little more hope in the future, share it with a friend, hit that follow button, and take a few seconds to write us a review. Until next time, I wish you everything good that you're looking for in this life and the next. Music